Well, here we are in the wilds of Colorado, and we are in this open space today because this is an opportunity for us to conduct a carefully controlled experiment on kingdom ethics and how to respond when people are frightfully naughty to you. Our willing guinea pig today is Pastor Dick Foth, who, as you can see from his posture, is an extremely godly man and obviously quite aware of it too. And we're going to see just how well he does under provocation. Our first uh, exhibit here, Exhibit A, the bottle of uh, water, uh, purified water, you might need to know. And what I'm going to do in a sort of a baptismal fashion is to sprinkle some water on Pastor Foth and see just how well he responds. Will he turn the other cheek or will he become very, very violent? Stand by and let's see. Are you ready, Pastor Foth? Oh, yes. Okay, here we go then. How did that, how did that make you feel? Cool. Do you feel uh, an inclination to uh, get vengeance and response and perhaps throw me in the lake? Yes, I do. Uh, do you feel like you're going to act on that impulse and possibly drown me? No. Well, no. that's really good. What about, uh, a little, what about a little pushing around here? Uh, how, does that, how does that do? I'll go this way. Oh, so you're actually turning the other elbow? I am. Are you suggesting the Greek word here in the text is elbow rather than cheek? <laughs> no idea. You know, but I'm so glad that at this point in this conducted experiment, Pastor Darry has arrived. Pastor, come and could you come and help us? What do you think about? Uh, is this okay? What we're doing here? But I, I'm a little concerned, quite honestly, because I I thought there was a, a deeper depth of maturity in my brethren, but I will uh, consider the uh, situation that we're in. And uh, I'll be praying earnestly for you both. <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. Have fun! <laughs> I knew it was coming, I'll tell you. I just knew it. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fun. We have been in a series called King of the Hill. And hopefully you're in a small group. And in just a minute, uh, I want to do something else in a second. But in just a minute, I want to come back to that. So keep that in your mind. To talk a little bit about how we respond what is our response? Sometimes when we get hurt, we retaliate, we fight back. And what does Jesus say about all that? So revenge, we'll talk about it. But before I do, I, w I want you to meet someone if you haven't met him. If you have kids, you know this guy. I can officially call him Pastor Mark Bullion, his wife Becky. He's been in a two-year journey. Mark worked in a, a public elementary school for about 10 years as a teacher. He's a great teacher, loves kids, uh, has plenty of children on their own, too. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. But... um. We saw this something in him, and, and he's been on quite a journey, and he wanted to, to consider uh, being uh, a teacher here at Timberline. He did that. He's been our children's director, and over the last two years, he has completed all the tasks, the, the Bible school classes, the correspondence. This, it's quite a process that people go through to become a pastor. So um, we really do appreciate the effort, the energy, the time that you've gone through. And we've officially done this in our deacon meeting and in our pastors, pastors meeting. But I wanted to, this weekend, have you join me in just congratulating Pastor Mark Boyne for that accomplishment. Yeah. Very cool. Pleasure. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by that. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity that we get to 
uh, present today to come and tell you a little bit about children's ministries itself. Um, in children's ministries, the purpose is just to lead children in biblical truth. And, um, and many people don't know, and I find it amazing, that uh, children's ministry covers a large gamut from birth through fifth grade, um, includes kids' church, which coincides at the exact same time that we're preaching in right here. Uh, we've got a kid children's service that goes on. Uh, child care for all services, Sunday school, as well as Wednesday night programs. We've got a lot of things going on. Um, we have over 2,000 registered children in, uh, um, for the weekly services and all the things that we do. So that's some amazing stuff. So um, what, we, what, what I'm here to talk to you about is volunteering and being a part of our children's ministries. And the first question I, I have is, do we have needs in children's ministries? Absolutely. But you know what? We need you. So what I want you to do is to turn to your neighbor and just look at them and say, we need you. <laughs> Yeah, we, we would love to have your help. And here, here's the qualification. You ready for the qualification? If you've ever been a kid? Yeah? You are qualified. And the, the great thing about uh, volunteering is no matter what life stage you're in, the children need you. And um, volunteering doesn't always mean that you're going to be face-to-face with a, with a child, a two-year-old. There's a lot of things that we do that are behind the scenes that people don't even know. And so I would just I ask you, if, if God is doing something in your heart, you're looking for a place to get plugged in, I want to encourage you to check out uh, Children's Ministries. We have a table out in the mall this weekend, and I want to encourage you to pick up your children today and come by the table. Pick up a balloon, some animal crackers. We have games out there to play. And just to stop by and see what it is that we are doing and how possibly you could get involved. Um, the process is simple. Just stop by the table, and one of the volunteers would love to be able to talk to you. Um, it's extremely fun to work in children's ministries. It's exciting. It's full of thrills, and you will notice our theme back there. It is the circus, so don't, don't get too worried about the big red noses if you've already seen them, okay? And the payoff is this. I'd like to tell you what the payoff is, but I'd like to, you to hear it from one of our volunteers. Uh, today we have Paula Anderson. She's been volunteering in children's ministries for over four years now. And I'd just like to let her say some words why it is that she comes in on a weekly basis. I'm a little bit nervous, so I had to write down what I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to keep it short and simple. When I started volunteering, I did so because I love the Lord. I wanted to further the kingdom of God. And I wasn't expecting the blessings that were going to be returned to me. They have been poured out on me. I'm closer to God. I'm blessed by the children each week as, I, and, and as well as the other volunteers. And um, we have a front row seat to watch God change the children's lives forever. And I'm blessed by the fun and loving relationships that we have with the kids as well as the other relationships that I have with the other volunteers. Volunteer... Volunteering energizes my life, it satisfies my soul, and it's blessed me beyond belief. Thank you, God. And by the way, if you're worried about time commitments, I'm the mother of three teenagers. I work a full-time job, and with God, all things are possible. So please come and see us at the table as we need you. Wow. That's awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. I think Paula... I think Paula said it correctly. The time commitment, it's, it's minimal, but the rewards are great. So I encourage you to stop by the tables, 6 through 8, if you have an opportunity. God bless you, and thank you so much for making a difference. Let's say thanks again, Pastor Mark. Paula, thank you so much. Wow. That is impressive. How many of you just sort of thought, well, then I don't have an excuse. <laughs> That's amazing. There's a lot of stuff there. Thank you for being people who care, who get involved, who make a difference. One other thing before we dive in, if you've noticed some of the posters around the hallways of the children from other countries, and we are going into Missions Month 
November historically is a month where we take a weekend, which will be the 14th and the 15th, and we uh, are going to have our new missions pastor here, Pastor Mark Orphan, and you'll be meeting him live. He will be speaking at our banquet. Uh, for those of you who are new to Timberline, we do a banquet every year. It happens two nights. You come to one of the two because they're identical, Sunday night or Monday night, the 15th or the 16th of November. And all you need is to go by table number three and get a ticket. They are $2 this year. We've given them away for a few years, but what has happened in the last few years is people are taking tickets and then they're not coming to the banquet, and we have pre-bought their meal. And we have had several hundred meals that we've had to pay for that no one is using. How many of you think that's not good stewardship? So we can't do that anymore. So we're going to just put a $2 charge. Obviously, the meal costs a lot more than that, but we want you there. So it's $2 per uh, person. And go by the table and pick those up. If that's a hardship for you, honestly, we will find a way to, to get you a ticket. We want you to come. But uh, it's first come, first serve. The last thing is Ambika. Some of you know that name. She's the Project Rescue Director in Calcutta, India. We talk about anti-human trafficking here at Timberline quite a bit with UCount and Project Rescue. Ambika is the lady who has made this happen on the streets of Calcutta. To have her in America is really unique. And next Saturday at 10 a.m., we're hosting a brunch with her. Believe me, her stories, she's in the red light district. She's working with these girls coming right out of it. It'll be fascinating. You can get a ticket in the Resource Center if you're interested in that next Saturday. All right, enough of that. Hey, what happens to an animal that gets wounded and you're trying to help them, what might happen if you try to go into a dog that's been wounded and they don't know you? Would they try to bite you? Yeah, they, they usually will. They, they, they become aggressive. Either that or, or they run off and hide and, uh, and they try to just tend to their wounds. I, I would propose today, because I've called this message, When You're Hurt, I would propose that people are a lot like that. Have you ever tried to help someone and they just kind of took a bite out of you? Why, why would they do that? Why is that the case? Probably they have been wounded. Probably they themselves have gone through something. And I see people all the time as a pastor, I watch people who get wounded either act out in, in being mean to people and, and vocally abusive to people, controlling, or they just run away and isolate. They just don't want to talk to anyone else. They've been hurt. Leave me alone. I don't know. I don't care. I just can't deal with life anymore. Neither of those responses are appropriate if you're going to try to make a difference in the world with your life. So God wants to heal you first. He wants to heal the wounds. And then He wants to prepare you to live in a culture where your response is not the same as everyone else's. Now, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is establishing what the kingdom of God really is and what His kids really look like in the face of adversity. And today, we have a huge, challenging, challenging uh, few verses ahead of us. So take out your bulletin, follow along. I say five components in our lives that make a difference in the world. All five of these are actions, and they're also attitudes. So think about them with me. Number one is the word retaliation. Just write the word retaliation down there. What does it mean for us to be the people who don't retaliate or get revenge? Okay, let's read it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say... 
Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. As we saw in the video earlier, Pastor Dick Foth passed the test. Aren't we proud of him? We're thankful. We, we were kidding around a little bit, but isn't it odd that sometimes we ourselves, the people of God, get really protective about our personal rights and our personal space, and we definitely want to respond in retaliation when someone is aggressive toward us? We have to understand what this means contextually to the people who are listening to Jesus say it. The law of Moses is used and it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The principal use of that passage was for the judges to limit, the judges of nations back in those days, to limit the amount of pain or retaliation that could be done to a person. Because what was happening is someone might come up and knock your tooth out, but then in retaliation they would kill you. So, so the law was set that said, wait a minute, you can't kill someone for knocking your tooth out. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So there can be punishment equal to the crime. Does that make sense? So that's the law Jesus is talking about here. What I want you to understand is that when he uses the word slap on the cheek, that's a specific personal insult. This verse should never be used as a proof text that you cannot protect yourself, that you have to stay in a marriage where there's physical abuse, um, those types of things. That is a gross misuse of this text. And some people try to do that. So we're not going there today. What this is talking about is personal insult. Words, statements. A slap on the face in Jesus' day was one of the, the biggest insults a person could give. They would just reach out and slap you on the face. And it's basically saying, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Um, and they were trying to demean you and put you lower and control you. Um, and Jesus is saying, when that happens to you, when you are personally insulted, turn the other cheek. There's nothing you need to do. Don't live with the anxiety of trying to get them back or strike back at them. That's not how my kids respond to personal insult. Whew. Does that seem a little tough? Don't, don't you think, I mean, we're, we're the country of rights, and uh, you touch me, you're going to be laid out on the floor. You know what I'm saying? It's this idea. Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, the word says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. How can we learn to be people who let that insult go and it doesn't build up in us and become huge, and then we worry, then we fret, then we find ways? I think, of, I think of in our culture, it's very difficult because movies, they jump all over this. I mean, you just can't wait till the end of a good movie when the bad guy's finally cornered, right? And you hate this guy. They have set it up so you hate him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you just want to make sure that he doesn't die too quickly. You just, you're obsessed with making sure that he is tortured in the right ways and you need to see it and you need to feel it. And when he dies, you go, yeah! I know none of you would ever do that. I wouldn't either, but I was just. <laughs> You've heard the phrase, don't get mad, get even. Yet, guys, that's not us. That can't be us. Jesus is coming against that. I know what it's like to have mean things said about me. I've been lied about. Maybe you have too. It's a terrible thing. You want to defend yourself and say, that's so not true. That's not. 
But I think instead I step back and say, God, I think you can handle this better than me. Because if I go after it, I'm going to mess it all up. So God, I trust you. And God likes it when we put him in the position of leading us, even in our reputation. Um, I, I read a quote. It's been a couple of years ago. It was, it's on one of the trains in the DIA, you know, the trains that go from terminal to terminal. Maybe you've seen it, but it's up kind of in the corner. I don't know if it's on all the cars, but it was on the one I was on. It says this. It's written by Henry Longfellow. Quote, If we could read the secret histories of our enemies, we would find in each person's story enough suffering and sorrow there to disarm all hostilities. It really set me back. Because I think Jesus is touching on something here for us to start to understand. That people who retaliate, people who lead with anger, people who don't have self-control, when you learn their history, when you learn what they have faced, suddenly it's the Spirit of God that can prepare us to help put oil in their wounds. And the last thing that's going to help them is for us to retaliate in the same methods that they use all of their lives. You and I are called to be the people who can step back, turn the other cheek, and say, wow, don't understand why you're insulting me, why you would say that, but I'm going to leave it with God. Can I walk away? Man, those are tough things. Okay, number two. Okay, it gets worse before it gets better. You ready? Okay, number two. You make a difference in the world by your action concerning generosity. Generosity is a is something that can and does change the world. Verse 40. Jesus says, If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. In, in verse 42, and I, and I won't be on the screen, but it, it kind of comes alongside. It says, Give money to those who ask you for it. Just blank. It just says, Go ahead and give it to them. What, what is Jesus doing in terms of saying, Hey, this is a new principle that you're not living. This is what my kids do. Let's talk first about the cloak and the inner garment. In the Jewish law, permitted someone to sue you for your inner garment. Be like, like the shirt that I'm wearing. But there was no law that would permit anyone to sue you for the cloak that you wore. There's a variety of reasons for that I won't go into. But Jesus does a little play on words here. And he says, even that which they cannot take, meaning the cloak, Go ahead and give him that too. What is, he, what is he trying to convey? He is trying to convey that we are the people who are not holding on to anything in this world. No possession takes a hold of us. Nothing is more important than our relationship with God and our relationships with people. And so, if you want my inner garment and sue me for that, then here, why don't you just take my cloak as well? If that will make you happier, because I don't really need it, I'll get another cloak. It's this letting go. It's this not fighting for my rights. See, this culture that Jesus was in is much like ours today, only worse. It was so, can I say it, sue happy. I mean, everything was a lawsuit. And that's how they got stuff done. It's just, I'm going to sue you for that inner garment. Okay, I'm going to sue you for that. I'm gonna, they, had, they had rules on rules about lawsuits. And Jesus is saying, we are not a kingdom of lawsuits. Obviously, in our culture, there's a time when legality and lawsuits need to happen. I get that. I'm not speaking against that. But I am saying, 
when it comes to your personal properties and even the money that you have, Jesus is saying it's really not yours. It's hands up. It's palms up. It's saying, how can you steward your possessions and properties and finances and wallets and relationship because it's not yours anyway? See, you know, the truth is you can't control any of those things I just mentioned. You really can't. So how many of you have learned that the last year or two? It's huge. It's scary. It's beyond your control. We have to pay attention to what Jesus meant because when he says give, give to money to people who ask, uh, uh, there's a story of a, a Cambridge student who was studying this text and he decided to, to just take it at face value and not take other scriptures into account, which is how we find balance in teaching the Bible. But he just started giving money away when someone would ask him. So students found this out and they would always ask him, can you give me some money? Oh, yeah, I will. And they were using it to go get drunk. He went completely bankrupt and uh, lost his education and everything else. And see, how many of you know that doesn't honor God? So God obviously is not talking about that. But the idea is clear. The idea is hold things lightly. Don't let things own you, you guys. Make sure we are a people with palms up living that say, God, it's all yours. How do you want to best use these things that I am a steward of? That's it. Number three. We make a difference in the world by our action concerning servanthood. How will we serve? How can we serve? Now this gets into some interesting thoughts because of the illustration Jesus is about to use. In verse 41, he says, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, this illustration, when Jesus said that, I guarantee you, the zealots who were there, that's a group of people, they hated to hear this news because they lived under an angst about the Roman Empire. Rome, obviously, was the world power. And Roman soldiers had the legal right of commandeering. In other words, they would get off the boat and put, put down their bag and say, you, come here. And you were, by law, required to carry their bags, their equipment, whatever it was, for at least one mile. A mile in, in those standards were a thousand paces, which is probably closer to a half a mile or three quarters of a mile as we know it today. But it's still a long ways. A thousand steps. And so they could just at will say, you, come and carry this bag. And you had to do it regardless of what you were doing in your day, what your plans were. You just had to do it. So Jesus uses this familiar analogy because he knows the angst they're living under. And Jesus says, hey, what would it be like if a Roman soldier commandeered you and you carried his bag for a thousand paces and you got to the place when he released you and you said, hey, I'm good for another mile if you don't mind. He would probably drop over dead. Because no one would expect that. Why? Because we talked about it last week. Everyone's doing the least and the lowest. But God's people, God's kingdom says, no, I can help out with that. What else do you need? Well, I can come back tomorrow. i got to get this. But there's this spirit in us. There's something in us that says, I'm not going to just do what I have to do. I'm going to go beyond what's expected. And I'm going to give you something you would never dream I would give you. That's an attitude. That's a spirit. You know, it's interesting here at Timberline through the peak we call love releases. It's, it's ministry, how we do ministry. You'll hear Pastor Daryl, the peak pastor, often 
and, and all the volunteers who work with that peak, they'll say something like this. It's a phrase, and I love the phrase. We want you to serve here at Timberline where your passion meets God's purpose. The things that you're passionate about, you want to do, you're gifted to do, how can you use those in the kingdom? I believe in that. Okay, So I want to say that first. However, Jesus is saying, yeah, make sure you're doing that. But if there's a need and you're not good at it, do it anyway. Because the Spirit of Jesus in you, the Spirit of God, the kingdom that's here, is that we do the things other people are not willing to do. And we do it whether we're good at it or not. We just do it out of our heart. Now, we have to understand, we can't do any of these things on our own strength. It's through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we do these things. It's really important. It's like shoveling snow this week. How many of you shoveled snow this week? See, you just go across the line a little bit and help your neighbor out a little bit. Or if you wait long enough, maybe your neighbor will shovel yours. All right, let's move on. Conflict resolution number four. If we can learn to get this one right, to resolve conflicts quickly in our marriages, with our kids, with our families, with ourselves, with our employers, with on and on and on it goes. Just how are we going to be people who are not afraid to resolve conflict in our lives. Now, Jesus turns it up again. Here we go. Verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Whoa, that's huge. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus is quoting here when He says, you have heard it said, love your uh, neighbor... But then he says, hate your enemy. We need to stop there because that's not part of the law of Moses. Where is he getting this? He doesn't say it says in the law. He says, you've heard it said. The people who were saying this were a group called the Essenes. And in the Essenic community, they had a little phrase that went like this. Quote, love the brother, hate the outsider. Love the brother, hate the outsider. It became a very close a tight-knit club. It'd be kind of like if we as Christians huddled together around and we say, okay, love Christians, but everyone else can burn in hell. Now, let's have our party. It's, it's, it's us and no more. It's that we are proud to be here who we are and who gives a rip about the rest of the world. If they want to be in the club, they need to do what they need to do. And I'm, I'm telling you, when I started studying this and looking into this whole thing, I, I just... I was pretty convicted in terms of just the church at large. Because I am, I'm really amazed, not in a good way, in a sad way, at how, dare I use this word, how hateful some so-called Christians can be to people who don't embrace their moral codes or standards. And I just want to say to you, The people who are not walking with God do not have the capability without the Spirit to live in the standards that this book requires. How many of you know that? 
So why would we live with an expectation that they are going to live to the standard we are living with? They're not going to. So we can't just say, well, then they can go to hell. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus is saying, love the people who hate you. Love the very people who target us. Now, wait just a minute. (laughs) What is he really saying? He can't be saying that. Yes, he is. And it, it, it undoes some things in me. I hope it does in you to step back and say, man, I know I have some friends. You guys, I have some friends that I have conflict with about sin. Issues that are clear to me in the Bible that, that their lifestyle is not godly. It's not right. They don't claim to be followers of Christ anyway. But that's a conflict. But I'll tell you what I'm working really hard to do. I want to make sure that I don't turn the conflict into hating them. Because hating them is not what Jesus wants. We are to love our enemies, those who don't like what we stand for. Of course they don't like what we stand for. Because our lifestyles are very judgments against them. We're calling them to a higher road. They can't live in it without knowing Christ in this book. So we have to work extra hard in kindness and grace to present the truth of this book. If you with me, say yes. This is tough. It's a challenge doesn't mean ever that we accept someone in their sinful lifestyle. We love the sin, but we love the person we care. Jesus died for that person also. He loves them. There's nothing they can do to make Him love them more. So we've got to get that right in our hearts. And it's really challenging. Number five, and the last thing is the word maturity. I really want you to think about this word. Maturity. Because Jesus... In light of everything he said, these five components, then he backs off and makes this statement that you just go, oh, this is impossible. Verse 48. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay. Uh, right then, if I'd been there live, I would have just stood up right then and said, all right, see you, man. It's been nice listening to you, but I know I can't do that. So goodbye. I wonder if that's how people felt. Because that, that was just too much. That's just be perfect. So, so it has to be that we got to examine. It's a little Greek word that's pronounced teleos. Teleos means to be fully mature, to be complete. Perfect in the sense of a fine wine that is becoming perfect in waiting. Everything that's happening in there is creating perfection. It's like, if I can use this, this little phrase, perfection direction. So that in my life, I am moving toward that place of maturity where nothing shakes me like it used to. I can handle the hard stuff. He's kind of saying, there's a little rib here of saying, grow up, bunch of baby Christians. Don't live as a baby. Don't just drink milk your whole life. You're going to have to face the reality that there's some tough things you have to know. Some tough things you have to... You are soldiers. You are called to be different on this earth. And it's going to take willpower and determination. A tenacious desire to go make a difference in my kingdom. And these are the principles of my kingdom. So don't just keep using the same old excuse for refusing to become mature. Strive after what is right. And so... This teleos is used in many places in the New Testament. One you'll recognize is James chapter 1. James says, hey, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, okay, hear this, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. 
In other words, don't avoid the obstacle. Don't just go around it. Go through it. Have a tenacious desire. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. There's the word, teleos again. You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Maturity. Wow. That's what God wants for us. Hey, the last thing in your bulletin, and then we'll pray together, is just a, I called it the big idea. And it's something I want you to think about this week. Live life above the cultural expectations and surprise somebody this week. You know, just by doing a little more, just by having an attitude that says yes instead of no, just by having a smile on your face, just by something in your character or your integrity, the kingdom of God people have something about them that says, okay, you know, I know I'm insulted here, but I'm going to leave that with God. I don't need to slap you back. Okay, I'll help you out. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. It's something more. It's somehow being the people that change the world. Wow. Let's pray together. Lord, I know I can't be this without you. Help us to see today this isn't a list of doing, but it's all about becoming in you for your glory and purpose. If God's talked to you about something today in your heart that you know you need to work on, I'm I'm raising my hand to this. I'm going to pray over you. Just hold your hand up. Okay. Lord, help us. Whatever area, whatever compartment, wherever it is in our lives, we just say yes to that. We need you. We need you. We trust you. The second thing I want to do, just look up here for a second. If you don't mind, just putting your hands like this. It feels kind of funny, I know, but do you mind? Just for a second, just hold your hands, palms up like this. And I just want to lead us in a prayer while we're in this posture. Lord, we feel maybe a little silly doing this, but it's a symbol of something. We recognize that our friends, our children, our marriage, our money, our properties are not ours. So see what's in our hand. You pick and choose how to use, how to spend, how to care. It's all yours. We live with open hands. And we recognize what stewardship is versus ownership. And we say thank you for the opportunity to be a good steward today. Remind us of this. As we live in a culture where grabbing and saying mine is the norm. In Jesus' name I pray. Love you guys. Really proud of you. Let's be this. Let's do this. We're going to take a